I'm Anna Marie Cox. And this is a recorded message. Good luck, everyone. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and there are no words for what you're about to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of global polycrisis. Is that another word for geostorm? Dan? No, this is a, honestly, this is a, a <laughs> thing that is actually being debated right now. Adam Tooze, who's a who just started at the Financial Times, has been promoting the idea. It just seemed appropriate given what we're talking about. All right, I think it seems like a synonym for geostorm. <laughs> but also, we are looking through it through the lens of relative deprivation. You know what it's actually to- a synonym for? I'm sorry, it's a synonym for the jackpot from Peripheral. That's the way I would. Put it. <laughs> okay. There we go. Yeah. Today, we'll be talking about Greenland, mm-hmm. which is available now at HBO Max. It's available in a few other places, but I assume we both watch it on HBO Max. Yes. In the next few weeks, we are a little bit winging it, but mm-hmm. we both really want to talk about Andor. So, so we're going to talk about this second half of Andor, which somehow was better than the first half. I think we can agree. Don't jinx yeah. it, because we've got one more episode. And, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been real good. It's been so good. If you haven't yet, please consider becoming a patron. Our Patreon page is patreon.com slash space the nation. A great way to support the show that costs you nothing is to rate and review the show and tell your friends and neighbors and on the bird site while it lasts, perhaps. Yes, it's still up. Twitter about us. Yeah. Yeah, you could tweet us. I am at Dan Dresner. She is at Anna Marie Cox. We both have blue check marks for the moment. Who knows what the fuck is going to happen? And we both are on Mastodon, Dan. We are both on Mastodon. I'm not really on Mastodon in the sense that I have an account. I haven't done anything with it yet. But yes, I am on Mastodon. Where are you on Mastodon, Anna? I am at Anna Marie Cox at Jurna. Dot host. Uh, That's like journalism. Yeah. I wish they'd got with Jurno host or journo list that would have been that or, would have been actually kind of funny <laughs> yeah that would have been really that would funny have been a nice deep cut dan yeah thank deep, you deep deep thank cut. you thank you just google journo <laughs> list for those of you who don't know what journo journo list it was journo list you yes. journo list yeah google that and if you are a nerd for intra like <laughs> media fights if you really want to relive like the twitter wars of like the mid-teens oh, then man. Wow. Amid yep. aughts, I think, actually. I think it's late aughts, actually, I was going to say. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yep. And then also, if you do want to become a patron, there are some benefits to doing that. I swear we're working on merch. I swear to God we're working on merch, um, which you would also be able to purchase even if you weren't a patron. And then, Dan, I think the biggest benefit to being a patron is the Discord. I really do. I agree. I, I don't know if you've noticed, Anna. I've been a little more active on the Discord. As I have noticed, Dan. I, okay. Divorced Dad Dan is coming to visit the kids a little more often. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? It's in honor of Butler. Butler Vember! It's in honor of (laughs) Butler Vember. And previously, Emma Carey, I'm trying to act like the divorced dad, like trying to reconnect and and so forth. But I've been enjoying it immensely. So, you know, I'm going to try to get a little more. Yeah, and I think as the bird site goes down, I think people will probably be a little more active there. Perhaps. Because we do discuss other stuff besides science fiction. There's a sports ball channel, and there's an adorables channel, and then there's a media break channel, which confuses people because it's not about media. It's named after the RoboCop media break conceit. oh the 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 i'd buy that for a dollar like uh, well well, because... well no they have media breaks as their news breaks all ah, right fair enough yes okay so it's yeah it's a little confusingly named but we do discuss stuff dan before we begin yes we have a little bit of a it's not a correction uh-huh. it's an acknowledgement okay 
go on. We both were very fascinated and made a big deal about the bleeding of gold right, by the gods and gods of Egypt. Yes, which made no sense to me, but go on. The gods bleed gold in Thor, Love and Thunder. Yeah, so you know what? I've got some issues with this. Okay, I'm aware that like in Thor, like I I think I don't know if it's they bleed gold, but like when Odin dies, he like disappears or disapparates in a mist of gold replaces. That's fine. Okay, if you're going to tell me that that's a contradiction, here's my question. It's not a contradiction. It's just we both were kind of like flummoxed by it. Yes. Yes, that's and I will grant that. But I will point out there are plenty of other gods in the MCU, and I do believe that only. Odin and like the Norse ones bleed gold and like there was no bleeding of gold in Moon Knight which you would have thought would have been appropriate and so I'm perfectly willing to acknowledge this and also it's just not a thing yeah I'm sorry no (laughs) in Gods of Egypt it's a big deal for some reason yeah and it's all very commerce and wealth oriented Mm -hmm. that's the whole thing like it's like in Gods of Egypt for some reason For some reason, the gods emphasis. have to the gods have to make a buck there. Clearly, that matters yeah. to set. Whereas, uh, you know, to be fair to the MCU, I don't think Thor ever said a single thing about money. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, I agree. So. Which means it has something in common with this movie, which we will get to. <laughs> yes, yes, we've got to close off Butler Vember with Butler Vember. Yes, but before we close out. Butler Vember. Yes. Oh, that's my best Butler Vember. That has no, that was actually like I I almost saw Gerard for a second. Yeah. That was really good. Is he in the room? Wait. Oh, (laughs) how are you, Dan? I am good. Uh I assume our listeners (laughs) the upward swing on that gives me a bad premonition. Well, no no no. I you know, it's (laughs) it's gotten a touch cold here. Like, you know, like a week ago I think I was wearing shorts because it was unseasonably warm. And not so much now. It's it's a little chilly, but it's like Thanksgiving weather. And so our listeners are probably going to be hearing this right after Thanksgiving. And, you know, it, it's the appropriate it's Thanksgiving appropriate weather, I guess I would say. Yeah, um, that's and, true. I, and I also had a slight scare with Mimi. I don't mean to alert, you know, alert our listeners uh, or alarm our listeners. But but Mimi was not something Mimi freaked being... out Mimi a couple days ago. A dog. Mimi, Mimi, Mimi being, be... yes, <laughs> Mimi being my dog. Um, she was acting a little weird a couple days ago and I was flying solo in the house and I was worried that she was not doing well and I had to get to work because I had no choice. But, and like, it's the worst thing in the world is like going away and thinking if I abandoned my dog, but she's fine. She's a good dog. And so I'm very Yeah, she is a good dog. How are you, Anna? Well, I guess I have to check in about the weather, which means it's cold in Texas, Mm -hmm. uh, 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 sometimes even below 40 degrees. (laughs) So please spare a thought for me. In it is true in a house not built for this. That's the yes. thing. It's I I have been through much rougher winters, but the places I've lived before were were built to withstand right. them. And, for, and this house not so much. In the Boston yeah. area, it's nippy outside. I am nice and toasty inside, and I would. It's yes. it can't be comfortable for you, Anna. And I feel yes. Bad. I have the wood floors on top of concrete <laughs> issue. Yeah. So there's the weather, but Dan. I texted you so that you would know <laughs> yes. the thing, the biggest thing that happened to me over the weekend, <laughs> which is that my TCU Horn Frogs, mm-hmm. like, I think this is a snatched victory from the jaws of defeat moment. Staved off was the, the term that I was going to th- use, but yes. It gave me a fucking heart attack. <laughs> I believe that Sonny Dykes owns stock in a pacemaker company. That is the only reason Sonny Dykes 
head coach of TCU, would call a run play. Listeners, for those of you Third down, no timeouts, with 10 seconds left on the clock. (laughs) No, no, there was more than 10 seconds left on the clock, because I was Like 15 seconds. There was 15 seconds, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, listeners, for those of you who don't know sports ball, let's just say it was the most dubious goddamn play call I have ever seen, actually, right before a team won a game. Because you don't run the ball with less than 20 seconds left with no timeouts. Like, Like, you know... The odds that you can people, actually yeah. again to 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 explain a little bit. Yeah. Running the ball takes longer than throwing the ball, right? And also the time doesn't stop. The clock the time doesn't, doesn't stop. stop. Yeah. And to set up a field goal, they were in within field goal range. Yep. But to t- set up a field goal, usually people call a timeout, which they had like, none of. Which they had none of. <laughs> yeah. It takes a bit. Takes a while. So what happened was TCU called a run play with Kendra Miller, who is their star. Uh, running back and could have conceivably made something with that play. Actually, you're lucky he didn't. In, in all seriousness, way, yes. if, no, 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 not it in any way. Any, any longer? At like, I mean, I think maybe like five seconds or so, like they had to spare. Like, if he had actually run ten yards, I think that would have actually been worse. But the point. Oh is, yeah, no, I yeah. agree. I agree. Yeah. I agree. So uh, he, they did that, and then there were at that point then ten seconds left on the clock. Mm-hmm. And they had to set up for a field goal. And I don't think the kicker stopped running from the sideline. Like I think he did like a running. I mean, this is not actually true, but no. he might as well have. But like... I was stunned because like he didn't like, you know, normally kickers like make sure their spacing is right so they can kick the ball. Like, they I... do that thing with their toe. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, like yeah, stick yeah. out their yeah. toe I, and like whatever. Props to the TCU special teams department because like I've never seen a football team have like their offense get off the field and the special teams get on as quickly as TCU did. So like that was the amazing part of it. But I will question that coach till the day I die on that call. And then they won the fucking game and and they're now still undefeated and our number four and uh, Tennessee got beat over the weekend. So so Tennessee's no longer undefeated. Anyway, I know this is a long time to talk about sports ball on a science fiction podcast. But everyone must understand that I almost cry. Like, (laughs) I am not one of those people that cries at sports. But I was so tense. Like, my body was just, like, so... I mean, they had been behind practically the entire game. Mm -hmm. They did not look good. And then they called the run and play. And my was just like, I just... And then they won. And that's when I almost cried because it was just, like, this amazing relief. So... Anyway, we should probably. It was talk almost about as the... if the world ended for you, Anna. Which brings oh, us to what a segue. <laughs> Do you love My that? My God, I just give that a ten out of ten. That is so good. I'm getting good at the podcasting thing, Anna. You I'm getting are really good at this, yeah. And we, I don't, we, we, we promise we'll never spend more than like ten or fifteen minutes on our various like <laughs> hobbies before we get to the to the most important part of the show, which is which is of course. The thing we're supposed to discuss. <laughs> Butler Vember! <laughs> Butler and the Vember. movie Greenland. And the movie Greenland. We are starting a new little segment just to let people know, should you watch this or read this, whatever it is we're talking about, before you listen to our podcast? Dan, what would you say about Greenland? So the question is, is whether you would profit from from watching it before. I think it's a good enough movie so that I would recommend watching it. I think you can probably enjoy this podcast without watching it and like see it afterwards. So I, I don't think it's a necessary one. There's not a ton of tension, yeah. like all things considered. Like right. the twists are not. Right. And this is the key the, thing. Like, the, the, are there plot twists for which you really want to experience it, like without, you know, completely. Or is it 
Or are there things of such astonishment, either yeah. good or bad? Yeah, and I don't think that, to that doesn't see work it for this before. film. No. 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 no, it is a decent movie. Yes. Okay. Good. Spoiler alert: It's decent. Yes. I think it's. <laughs> like, I, like I continue I think... my streak of giving great quotes. <laughs> <laughs> but look at this way: movie I, posters. I legitimately think it is the best of the four Butler Vember films we have. We have it made. is indeed. That's well. You've you've segued to our our next segment. Yes. In a way. Yes, I have. Which, which is, is previous experience. So, what is our previous experience with these films, Anna? What about you? I knew it existed. Okay. It, I believe you had told me about it. I think before, I did. Yes. Yes. Actually, even this, before we planned Butler Vember. Right. No, this was a movie that I think came out as we were doing the podcast. So we were we were talking about yeah. uh, stuff then. This was a pandemic release. And I have to admit, I don't think I was like, I saw it and thought, oh, it's Gerard Butler, end of the world movie. You know, I put it into the, the basket of things I don't need to see. And I will thank one of my political science colleagues, Seth Maskett, who's a professor at the University of Denver, who I think tweeted about it being much better than he was expecting. And so that intrigued me. And so I decided to watch it. And I actually, I agree. I thought it was much better. It is much, much better. better than one might expect. Yeah. And, I, and so like- That is another good quote for the movie post. <laughs> We have we are so hyping this film, Anna. We are, but I live it this way. I so I think we might have a disagreement. I think I liked it a little better than you did. But the question is, did we like it because compared to the other Butler Fember films, this is a decent film, or is it actually a good film? And this is something I think we'll be talking about for the rest of the podcast. So let's get to the story behind the story. As with all Butler Vember films, Anna, I will ask you this is the same question: What was Gerard Butler's agent thinking? I actually have some insight on this, oh, not because anyone has said anything or Gerard Butler has said anything, because what I've learned in Butler Vember is Gerard Butler doesn't give a lot of interviews. <laughs> he doesn't talk a lot, which is weird because for some reason, I finally decided to look up Gerard Butler's own history. Uh-huh. Dan, do you want to take a stab at what career he was pursuing prior to becoming an actor? It's not structural Just engineer. Guess. Okay, so uh, let me say I will. Was, wait, wait, was it sports announcer? Dan, he was going to be a lawyer. Really? Yeah. Okay. He was actually working at a law firm. What? So wait, he had, like, had a law degree? Yeah. Oh, my God. I did not know that. Wow. Okay. Very impressive. He contains multitudes. Yeah. Okay. But there, you know what? The Butler the Butler River runs deep, I think is what we're Yeah, learning. Butler River runs deep. Yeah. And I can say, I think, with a little bit of confidence what the logic was of him taking this, this movie. Number one, the screenplay was by a writer of a Gus Van Sant movie oh okay yeah uh the original director neil bloomkamp <laughs> of district nine <laughs> i i kind of wonder how the film would have turned out in that instance that's fascinating okay yeah, and yeah. he had an opportunity to produce with his I amazingly that. named g base productions Ada, <laughs> <laughs> i think i think we are you know what We're, i'm gonna leave this to the discord I'm going to ask our, our patrons, come up with our production name. If Anna and I were to put together our own production house to make sci-fi films. I'd already know. What would but you, okay, but... It'd be the Debris Field. It'd be oh, Debris Field Productions. Yeah, that's good. That is good. But I do want to know what the Discord thinks. Yeah, yeah. Now, unfortunately, Dan, the Gus Van Sant movie that, that this writer wrote, uh, Chris Sparling, mm-hmm. was uh, Sea of Trees. Uh, have you not heard of The Sea of Trees, I confess Dan? that I have not. It I'd... starred Matthew McConaughey oh. and Naomi Waltz. It it premiered at Cannes. Oh, okay. And 
that is what we know about it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. When you said Sea of Trees, I kind of thought Terrence Malick. So, yeah. All right. Fair enough. No, uh, it was about it's about the suicide forest in Japan. Matthew McConaughey goes there. And that's all I really know. It came and went. And as for and obviously he did not wind up direct or mm-hmm. he did not wind up having anything to do with this. And, uh, and Chris Spardling's other movies are incredibly forgettable. So forgettable that I've now blanked on the names. And as for Bloomcamp, mm-hmm. he dropped out when the original star of the movie dropped out. The original star being Chris Evans. Oh my! So imagine this movie with Neil Bloomcamp and Chris Evans. I kind of want to because I live this way. We I think it could be a pretty good movie. Anna, we've talked about we're going to do April if if this podcast lasts yeah. until April in terms of Michael Bay. We've obviously <laughs> done Emmerich and we've done. You know, we're not doing Butler. I want to do a month of Chris Evans sci-fi films because Chris Evans has actually had some interesting sci-fi choices. You know, if you think he about is it. one of my boyfriends. Exactly. Yeah. And he in the Twilight of Twitter when we talk about shooting our shot of like trying to get in touch with the celebrities that follow it's us. Chris I Evans. think he does follow me on Chris Evans, and okay. he's like the one that like. Whoa. If only to meet his dog. His dog is really Dodger. His dog Dodger is probably the sexiest dog alive, is what I'm assuming. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, yeah. So Chris Evans left, I think, when Camp left, and uh, so Butler was able to to swoop in and produce. Mm -hmm. Producing, he got a huge cut of the box office. Box office was pretty good. It made fifty three million on a thirty five million dollar budget, which is legit impressive because again, this was a pandemic release, so it's not like you know there were lines in theaters and so forth it is by far our <laughs> highest rated highest rated movie of butler Vendor. like by yeah yeah, yeah. um i'm my my math is not being good good right now so it's by three times i think uh, the highest rated no i, I can do the math rated... on a, it is kind of two and a half so two and a half two, right. 250 percent better than the next best review yeah. film which is gamer Yes. Which I actually now think is the best of the other movies. <laughs> yes. Oh no. I, no. No disagreement there. Like gamers, uh, gamer in my eyes has risen in value after oh, yeah. having watched oh, Gods yeah. of Egypt and Geostorm. But this is a better film, nonetheless. This is a better film than Gamer. Although Gamer is one of those like if you are again I said it before if you're into those kinds of questions of like you know virtual you know culture and what happens when mm-hmm. we put you know uh, chips in our heads like. Elon Musk wants us to do. Yeah. Uh, Gamer is kind of an interesting exploration of that. And of course, it has Michael C. Hall, yes. who has the best performance of any of our Butler and it does, offerings. I, I, this way. I will well, say this. Right? Like, of, oh, yeah. Michael C. Hall is the MVP of Butler Vember. Not just that, that one scene, which we talked about in the in that podcast, that is far and away the best scene of anything I think I've seen in, in this entire month. Legitimately interesting. This is a good film. That was a legitimate. So Gamer has a 30% rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Gods of Egypt has a 15% rating <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. And Geostorm has a 17% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I, I said, I think, in our Gamer podcast, it has a 13%. That is among top critics. <laughs> Butler Vember ends on the highest note, as I said, with a 78% rating for... Greenland. And you know what? Good for critics for not prejudging a Gerard Butler film. As I said, this was, although now I'm beginning to wonder, was like the baseline so low that like people were like, oh, it's a decent film. And so we shall discuss. Yes, we we shall. shall discuss. And now it's time for Chekhov's What's It, Dan? This is the thing that often appears in the first act that winds up being of somewhat importance uh, later in the film. Although in this case, it was also in the first act. My Chekhov What's It is Chekhov's meds. You knew that that insulin was going to, to kick in in terms of being a, a plot point because the 
the son in this film is is diabetic, and that winds up being an important plot point. It winds up being very important. Yes. I was just going to say Chekhov's annoying child. <laughs> Fair enough. I did not appreciate this child actor uh, at all. Kind of beside the point, he's just a placeholder for child in in distress. <laughs> I also was thinking about trying to figure out a way to say Chekhov's pleading for your life. <laughs> Which does, yeah, except that, that yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. okay, spoiler alert, and can we just bookmark this for a later discussion? Yeah. The scene towards the end where, uh, now I forgot, uh, John Allen Garrity John. begs for his life, begs for his life on the airport runway. Yes is a exact parallel to the scene where he leaves behind a neighbor similarly oh no no no, no. that life. was and, and yeah we're gonna talk like i i actually thought that was clever because like you know it although not in that scene but a, but a little bit earlier i didn't like the airport scene we're gonna we're gonna talk i about didn't that. either but but like he literally like yeah. at the beginning of the movie leaves behind yep. this neighbor is just like sorry yeah. <laughs> and then expects because he's a white man i suppose expects the same thing to work which does it does it. which was frustrating we'll, we'll get to yeah, this exactly yes. let, let, exactly let's get to the plot of it speaking um, of getting to things yes. yes all right let's start with act one the most awkward suburban cookout ever meet john allen garrity a structural engineer living in an atlanta exurb He's separated from his wife, Allison, but that's not going to stop the two of them from hosting a neighborhood cookout for their diabetic son, Nathan. That way, everyone can watch Comet Clark arrive and see some fragments hit the Atlantic Ocean. Everyone's excited about this light show. While grocery shopping, however, John gets a rather <laughs> weird call from DHS saying he's been selected for emergency shelter. John returns home and everyone is watching the comet on television. In a surprise twist, the fragment does not land in the Atlantic, but instead obliterates Tampa with the shockwave blowing out their windows near Atlanta as well. John then gets another call from DHS and an alert on the television, instructing him and his family about when and where to report for shelter. None of their neighbors receive a similar message. Awkward! John, Allison, and Nathan pack quickly and leave despite the entreaties of their neighbors for help. Along the way, they hear news stories suggesting a lot more fragments hitting Earth, including one that will be an extinction-level event. Anna, this first act was my favorite. First of all, I do really think there was a good economy of storytelling in that first 15 minutes. You kind of... Nothing is really said out loud, but, like, you can tell sort of what's going on. And it, it definitely... But that said, what made it different from other Butler-Vember films was that I actually think it took the premise much more seriously and therefore demonstrated some perspectives beyond the protagonist. I love the neighbor... The, the guy who was like clearly rooting for John to, you know, reconcile with Allison, but then acts completely differently when the wives are there. And then the scene where the other neighbor is asking them to take her daughter, I think was very affecting because again, the first act of this film takes great pains to not make this story only about John or Allison. And in that way, it's the anti 2012 film because in 2012, it's also a similar family that winds up doing sort of stuff. Everyone else is just a non is an NPC. And what I did like about this film was that it made it very clear that lots of people were going to die, but it also gave some weight to that, which I thought was good. Yeah, there are some non-NPCs. Yeah. I, I appreciated that as well. Not everyone is a total dick. Yeah. Uh, there's some good scenes with kind people, right. which I which hope we talk about talk a little about. bit more. Yes. Yes. Yeah. A few thoughts on this first section. Number one, I decided early on, not going to check the science. Just not going to. <laughs> no, just, don't do that. Like, just, we'll just leave that alone. Yeah. There was towards the end a piece where I really wanted to check the science, <laughs> but 
No. I decided not to. No. I also point out that Morena Baccarin is part of the Space the Nation expanded cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. I really want to talk more about the presidential alerts, but maybe we'll wait till the IR section we for can. that. Yes, yes. Yeah, totally fair. <laughs> totally fair. That was my first gotta ask Dan <laughs> side note. <laughs> so how would that work, Dan? How would that work? Not that you're a logistics expert, but sort of the politics of it seem off yeah. to me <laughs> no let me put it this way watch so watching this movie again the first thought i had with that scene was like john doesn't think this is spam this is obviously spam right like yeah, yeah that, that was, was actually my first that thing was the first is it, it's, it's, it's a nigerian prince please report to mm-hmm. you know the bunker i thought the neighbors were pretty chill all things considered honestly like there's actually a lot of chillness in this first section that mm-hmm. i'm not sure is exactly well, right i don't know like the neighbor holding the daughter begging them to take right her, right right not, but for know. the most part like there's a real lack of traffic jams up until like some key points yes that was noteworthy and then weirdly though no traffic jams but the looting starts immediately <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. and then i just want to point out and i really want to talk about this at length at some point uh-huh. but journalists man the real m VPs I, of this movie. I, they Anna, are putting on most NPR professional shows journalism until the ever. fucking end of the world. I was like, yeah, no, I had the exact same reaction. I was like, wow, these journalists are uber competent and like, they're going down with this ship because it wasn't... And you know, also not getting their own families like out of there. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Like, they're uh, just like... No, there was you know, one line of like, I think there was one line in this very first act where like the, the reporter like on the radio says... You know, there are rumors that the the government did not, you know, uh, tell anyone, you know, because they didn't want the nation falling apart. And I'm like, no, 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 it's a better line than oh, that. Oh, it's a better Dan, line than that? I actually have It was an amazing line, line. Of course. What is because it? Because I was like, I cannot imagine. Anyone <laughs> like, reading that in reading NPR that voice. Okay, yes. here it is. Here okay, it is. Let me hear it. Yep, yep, go, go. Uh, it's uh, presidential rumors of presidential alerts. Yeah, yeah, not everyone yeah. was notified. Right. Asking these people to get to shelter before the inevitable collapse of our nation. Right, yes. That was an amazing. <laughs> yes. That was that was amazing. Again, all set like but again, like set it up here before the inevitable collapse of our nation. Like it, it, like the the again, this just is great all things considered. Yeah. <laughs> With the end of the world, you can now give $5,000 for our pledge drive. We are canceling. We're just giving everyone tote bags. Just everyone gets a tote bag. <laughs> you get a tote bag. And you get a tote Yeah. Okay. Let's get to act two. Where's my TSA pre-check line? Arriving at Robinson. Clear. Air- they should actually, this is a point of discussion. They should be using clear, not pre-check. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Arriving at Robbins Air Force Base, the Garrities make their way past a pretty large crowd outside the base. Asked to reduce their bags to just one, John and Allison realize Nathan's insulin was left back in the car. John goes back for it, telling Allison to just get on the plane with Nathan. Does Allison listen? No! Instead, she asks the guard some questions, revealing her son's medical condition. Allison tries... Yep. Completely reasonable thing to do. Fair enough. Yes. I, I, Don't I, just do what your husband says, because as <laughs> I texted you before the this unveiled, yes. Army's gonna have insulin. You would think. I mean, but yes. Right. Like, now, reveal. Yeah. Now, now, big reveal. Yes. now go. the big reveal. Go, go, go. Allison tries to Karen her way onto a plane, but the major in charge patiently explains that no one with a chronic medical condition is being allowed to evacuate. Allison and Nathan are kicked off the base in the gentlest way possible. 
John gets the insulin, returns to the base, and is able to board a plane, but learns about the medical rule and deplanes just before it starts to taxi. He's lucky that way because the crowd outside breaches the base, and it being the South, that crowd is very well armed. Shots are fired, igniting some jet fuel, and blowing up lots of planes. Separated and with cell service overloaded, John can't reach his family. Allison and Nathan backtrack and leave a message on the car that they are headed to Knoxville, where Allison's father lives. John, finding the message, also tries to find a way to Knoxville. Anna, again, I think, actually, my single favorite scene in this movie was the scene between Allison and... The character's name is Major Breen, although I don't think we ever see her name out loud. Because when Allison asked the Major, what if it was your family... She gets a very surprising response, which I actually liked, in which the major says 99, you know, she's not selected, 99% of the military is not selected, which doesn't quite jive or whatever. Um, and it's, it is an effective callback to their neighbor asking them a similar question, like, what if it was your son or what have you? And again, what elevated this film for me was that every once in a while, you would expect the plot or the characters to go one way, and instead they actually take the premise seriously. And so I, a shout out to the actress who played Major Green. I don't have her name right in front of me, but it was a, she's only on screen for maybe five minutes, and she really does a great job with that. Role. She knocks it out of the park. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think that's a really effective scene. I also noticed just for the, uh, something that maybe shouldn't have to be said, but is said, there's a fair number of people of color mm -hmm. in this movie, and they're sprinkled throughout. It's not like a, it's not sure we're going to have our yeah. choking person here. Um, and Major Breen happens to be a black woman. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a very effective scene as well. And in general, I think one of the reasons why this movie is better than all the other ones and, and an above average disaster movie yeah. is that sometimes I hate the way we say we'll talk about this later, but we will talk about this later, I think. Most disaster movies are just unrelentingly grim about the human condition, right? Mm -hmm. Nasty, brutish, and short. Like, people are just dicks to each other, and it's all like a scramble to survive. Very few movies show what you and I know to be true from, like, there's sociological research out there, which is, in general, people actually help each other in disasters. Right. And that, there is... that No, that is, without question, one of the best things about this film, because... The film doesn't shirk away from people behaving badly. There are people yeah, who sometimes sure. behave there badly. Is, there, is, there are assholes it's, in disasters. It's not naive sure. in that sense. But at the same time, there's a remarkable number of people that actually act with compassion. Or... Well, actually not remarkable in yeah. terms of like what we know about how people come together You're right. it, in disasters. It's not remarkable in real life. It's remarkable for yeah. disaster movies, I guess would be the way to put yes, it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I just want to yes. shout out that the actress's name is Marin Dungay. Mm -hmm. uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But again... Only on screen for five minutes. She really does a great job with that role. And I will say also, in general, the military is not portrayed as being ruthless about their jobs, right. which is a little surprising and right. human. And I think what would be true. Yeah. But that said, like they were a little they're they're tough on enforcing that rule about the chronic medical condition, although. I will grant it makes probably some sense given the contingency. I have questions, yeah, but, but again, like I just decided early on, like what counts as a chronic condi chronic condition. I did wonder they yeah. let alcoholics on board. <laughs> Ooh, that's mm -hmm. a, yeah, that's a valid question. I don't know. Like you know, let, let me put this way. I kind of feel about this the same way I feel about like the storm in the Martian that sets off the plot, which is my understanding mm -hmm. is there would no way there was no way there would ever actually be a storm on Mars like that. You just sort of let that go, and then everything else actually is interesting. And I think that's kind of how I felt about this film. I think that there is something to be said about how that might not be the decision that was made, but but just that that you could have done more with the fact that like whatever process you use to decide who gets saved is going to be somewhat arbitrary mm -hmm. and going to have unfairness to it. Yeah, this is just the thing they chose to make the plot run. Right. 
and that's know. and that's fair. And I, actually, I, I when I was watching it for the first time, it was a legit like I was like, okay, I like where they're going with this. It was, it was interesting and and so forth. All right, let's get to Act Three. The road to Knoxville is paved with good intentions. Allison, Nathan, and John have some wild adventures getting to Knoxville. John hops on a truck bringing folks to Canada where they will board planes headed for Greenland, rumored to have an impregnable redoubt that can survive the comet strike. Another dude in the truck, however, sees his wristband, indicating he's been selected, however, and demands that as well as his ID. They fight, the truck tips over, and John winds up killing him with a hammer. Staggering into another exurb, he breaks into a house, uh, catches up on the news, and heads to Knoxville. Meanwhile, Allison and Nathan head to a pharmacy to get some insulin. Another gang with guns starts shooting, and in the ensuing chaos, they hitch a ride from Judy and Ralph, a perfectly nice couple headed north. Or so it would seem. Ralph, seeing their bracelets from the base, thinks they can use Nathan to talk their way onto a plane. He kicks Allison out of the car after taking her bracelet. Ralph's plan fails, however, when Nathan rats them out to the guards. Allison is eventually reunited with Nathan at a FEMA camp outside the base. The world's nicest doctor gives them a week's worth of supplies and gets them on a military bus to Knoxville. Using the landline at the bus depot, she connects with her dad and John, who also made it there. Anna, I, I really do think there was some decent acting in this sequence. I did really like Ralph talking himself into believing that he did the right thing. At one point he says, you know, I gave us a chance, I gave that boy a chance. I can see people rationalizing their behavior in, in that circumstance that way. And actually, we haven't really talked about it, but like, Butler, I think, actually has a decent wordless acting scene when he breaks into that, you know, suburban house and realizes he's going to have to steal the car. Yes. Uh, here's Roger's Wayne with some problems. Yeah, go ahead. Go, go. All of the bracelet shit, just yeah. give them the fucking wristbands. Right. I mean, that was like the first thing I thought when Allison and Nathan got in the car and they spy their wristbands. Allison should have been like, you want them? Here. They're not going to do you any good. Fine. And also, if you're going to be cruel about it, leave both the kid and the mom by the side of the road and take both wristbands because then you'll have two and you... you can get on the base presumably mm. right and if you can talk yourself into <laughs> kicking a mom off your you know yeah. suv probably could talk yourself into kicking the kid off too using like well like, they wanted to stay together probably wanted to stay together and also again just give him the wristband same with john in that truck just give him the wristband don't tell him it won't work that is actually what happens right is the guy's like give me your wristband and john's like well it won't work and the guy's like all right give me your wristband give me your wristband if you really believe it yeah 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 um and then also this a a huge problem a huge problem with the whole wristband thing yes should be biometric ah fair enough fair enough well that's the i i went like when i said they should be using clear and not uh (laughs) pre-check Wait, how is clear biometric? I honestly don't know. Clear, you have to show your eyeballs and your fingerprints. Fair enough. Well, you know, this movie came out a couple years ago, so maybe, like, the biometric stuff wasn't quite developed at that point. That's all I'm saying. No, I mean, you use clear... I know, I know. Anyway. But let me just wait. The the one thing I will say, like, in some ways, one of the things I liked about this film is that it's actually almost like a series of short vignettes, and each of the vignettes is, like, mildly interesting. Like, I like it when he goes to the end of the world party... Or, but also, and I like the end of the world party is just in the background. I thought that was kind of yeah, cool. That was well done. 
I wanted to point out that on that truck, there also is a Good Samaritan mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, and also the guy who lets him in the truck. Yeah. You know, Again, there is like Good Samaritans yeah. kind of sprinkled throughout yeah. this in a way that I've, I found uh, realistic. Yes. The FEMA uh, official and the doctor, both heroes. Yes. Uh, there's a FEMA official, not just the doctor, but a FEMA official who's like, here, I'll try to help you. No, he's a good... Which is a and, thing. and he's calming her down. That was the other... The, yeah. the, the, he was like actually doing... <laughs> He was actually doing his job, which is which is something you don't always see in movies like this, which I appreciate. Right. And, and these things happen. Like, yeah. I I think every single one of us, for all we complain about things like the DMV or health insurance or the places where we see bureaucracy at its worst, yeah. I think all of us have a story about someone suddenly being human. Right. Right. Like, a, a kind thing that's done. Like, I've had that happen. Like, when I was going through the worst of my divorce and I was, like, having to do the paperwork for it, mm-hmm. which... Oof. Like yeah. separating out our money, separating out our insurance, separating, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Like I was really emotional and I would have like, you can get emotional. Now, like, but like a, a, a person from the fucking insurance company would be like, do you need to take a second? Or, oh, really? you know, oh, actually, actually someone was like, do you want to call our EAP line and talk to someone? Oh, wow. Okay. You know, that's it was nice. and it was really great. And USAA heroes my very favorite bank in the world <laughs> which is weird but they're they were started started for armed services yeah. it's for armed service members they have a person who deals with divorces like not a person but they have like a specialized like division line or procedure yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and you know and they ask things like are you safe yeah which is kind of amazing so shout out to those people one thing about the doctor yes why give a week's worth of supplies he turns out to be good. Yeah, but although God knows, literally, like, yeah, yeah, I they're optimistic. I don't know, like, <laughs> yeah, you know. right. I will add, by the way, one of the other effective parts of this sequence was, I don't know about you, I love the slow feeling of dread you had as the in the car as you realize what Ralph is thinking, and like mm-hmm. you know, like it, it, it's a nice job of like you're relieved the you know, Allison and, and Nathan have found like a way out of the, the gang. And by the way, even in the gang, like, you know, that that was actually, again, another surprise where like someone's like trying to take over the supermarket and like command resources. Allison just sort of pleads, let me out. And the guy was like, yeah, go ahead. Like, you know, like, and, and it was, and it, by the way, that was the right thing to do. You want people to leave at that point. You might care about the, 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 the supplies, but it doesn't make any sense to keep her. So like, you know, that was, that was also good. And speaking of just good moments, yeah. Ralph in the car is played by Roy, from the office, David Denham, uh, yeah. Daryl Denham, who also has a great turn in Mayor of Eastland, East Mayor of Town, East Town, East Town. Yes, yes, which is a fantastic yes. show on HBO. As and well. actually, his wife is played by uh, Hope Davis, who also you know, yeah, lovely work. And just, Hope Davis is in this movie, yeah, Dan. Exactly. But the best part of this, honestly, mm-hmm. you did not mention, which is John realizing he fucking killed a guy. Yes. No, no. As I said, this is a, well, I'm sorry. I did, I did say he killed a guy with a hammer. Um, yeah, but no, he realizes he killed yes. a guy. Yes. And again, the the thing that makes this movie much better than all the Butler Vember films, and frankly, most disaster films, is that yeah. it takes death seriously. Yeah. There are stakes in this film. And yeah. it, 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 yes, of course, in the larger logic of things, a lot of people are going to die. But in a lot of disaster movies and action movies in general, mm-hmm. normal people become killers without thinking, like, and it, it, they just move on. Mm-hmm. Like a normal person, not like an agent or whatever, will suddenly be involved in a fight to the death and then they'll kill the person and then the movie just continues. And this one, he has a moment where he's like, I killed it. Right. It's all silent, too. Like, yes. You're right. He and has again, a moment when he sees the blood Butler. on his hands right. and he has a clear moment of 
what have I become? What am I doing? And again, this is, I honestly, this was the finest acting moment by Butler in the entire Butler Vember sequence is the way I would put it. Yeah. All right. Let's close this out with act four, deeper impact. John and Allison decide to take Nathan and drive to Canada to see if they can make one of the planes to Greenland. Allison's dad decides to stay behind in Knoxville. The family wends their way to the Great White North, playing normal long driving games like avoiding listening to the news, reconciling a marriage, and avoiding one deadly comet fragment onslaught during which John rescues someone. Arriving at the airfield just before the last plane takes off, John blocks it with his truck and makes the pilot upgrade their family from standby to onboard. The plane makes it to Greenland just before the big fragment is supposed to hit, but crash lands after a previous fragment creates a shockwave. Our protagonists hike in the direction of the base and make it just before the big fragment hits. We see the Garrity's life flash before their eyes, but in a surprise twist, they don't die. Nine months later, Greenland Station makes contact with other stations around the globe, and the ash clouds are dissipating. They open the shelter to a radically changed landscape, but they see a bird that survives, so maybe it's winner-winner pigeon dinner tonight in Greenland. All right, on it. And I did warn you in advance, I really like this film. I did not like the last act of this film. First of all, that pilot was right about the weight. There is no way he should have taken the Garrities on board. And when they do board the plane, like, as I said, I do like that there's a range of of kindness in this movie. But in that moment, everyone is way too nice to them. It feels false because literally those people getting on the plane are putting everyone at risk. And I do kind of wish they had almost ended with the family sort of like the flashback scene rather than actually showing the nine months later sequence, which felt a little tacked on. I think that would have been a more ambiguous ending and actually a better ending for the film. What say you? Well, Dan. Yes, Anna? If they had done that, they couldn't have a sequel, which is coming. (laughs) Wait, there's a sequel? Yeah. Are you serious? (laughs) Yeah, sorry. I should have put that in the IP as a flat circle section. Oh my God, what Uh, do you do with a sequel to this film? Jesus. It's called Greenland Migration. Oh my God. And it's about their trip through a decimated or not decimated god uh, completely destroyed europe to find a new home i assume in that one also they're gonna have to have like human bad guys yeah which eh, you know no that's gonna be less thing about disaster movies is you don't really have human bad guys i wrote on my in my notes i really hope they die getting knocked out of the sky (laughs) in the plane oh anna Um, like that would be a really cool way for them to die that <laughs> in fact they are too much weight right exactly and also like what i did like leave it this way I, I like the sequence where john actually saves a woman in a car who's trapped that actually makes sense yeah. because he feels bad about what he had done before in some yeah. ways this is an effort at, at redemption that totally makes sense but the final sequence where he's trying to like just block that plane and says, you have to take us on board. He doesn't really give any reason for it. It's just like... Nope, it's the same. It's the parallel scene to the to the neighbor. Right. It is exact same parallel and, scene and to the neighbor. the pilot is just... Who's played by a veteran character actor who's fine. Like, for the again, the three minutes he's on the on the screen. But, like, he just sort of throws up in his hands and says, okay. And then eventually actually gives him, like, meds on the plane. That was the one thing where I thought, no, this is a little too utopian for me. Like, and he dies in the plane. And, he, and yes. he also, when when John goes back to rescue him, he's like, no, go on. Right, exactly. You know, so that was the dying, only... Which is, that, that was a little too, like you know, like I, I like movies where they show kindness, where they show these sorts of things. That was a little too beyond stretching reality. Yeah, a kindness too far. Yes, exactly. Uh, I also, after I wrote, I hope they get <laughs> knocked out of the knocked out of the sky uh-huh. and die. I did also write 
that montage would have been a great place to end. Yes. Yeah. The, do they survive or not? We don't know. You could still maybe have a sequel. I also want to point out Scott Glenn is in this movie, Dan. Yes, which we failed to mention as Allison's father. Does a great job. Yeah, like, fine. I mean, the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's just sort of weird to like see him also. God, Scott Glenn is old, although he's always seemed a little old. He's, he's leathery. He's like one of those. The way I would, yeah, he's a leathery yeah. dude. Yeah. Again, shout out to NPR. <laughs> Right up to the last minute. Just amazing. Literally up to the last minute. I just like to, I wish that they had stunt casted like Steve Inskeep and Aisha Roscoe. That would have been amazing. To like. (laughs) Yeah. Like be there to the last minute. Like Steve Inskeep. It's been nice to know you, Aisha. Steve, (laughs) good to know you too. Steve Inskeep and Aisha Roscoe. By a grant from the Carnegie Corp. Or from the Carnegie Corporation. (laughs) <laughs> Kai Rizdal, you know close Kai, with this episode from American Li- this American Life. Kai Rizdal, you would about the end of the world. You, Kai Rizdal, you would have crushed your cameo in this. Is that's all I'm saying? Yeah, that that could have worked. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right, Dan. Now we have some more important questions. Okay. So, Dan. Yes, Anna. Is there IR in this movie? Anna, I don't fold when the IR gets rough, and it's not all that rough in this film. There are two levels of IR here. <laughs> Um, the obvious form of IR is how states handle extreme crisis. And hey, guess what? Turns out they have secret plans, like a bunker in Greenland, I guess. This is the part where really you can't stare too closely at the film. It doesn't quite hold up. Why Greenland and not like, I don't know, Mount Weather or Greenbrier, which are, you know, actually in the United States. I don't and also know. have secret, bu- well, secret, they're not secret bunkers yeah. anymore. But, you know, the emergency response, I will say, in this film is not awful. Once you get past the big lie of the notion that they knew that this was going to happen and didn't tell anyone, which, again, is, a you know, if, if you squint too hard at that, the plot doesn't entirely hold up. It also doesn't hold up that they would, as you say, have sent presidential alerts to random civilians rather than just telling the military. Because you know what? There's a lot of structural engineers in the military, Anna. I'm pretty sure they could have found some decent ones there to actually put to Greenland. So just National Guard is full of yeah. professionals like, who do shit. If you are a graduate from West Point, you probably got an engineering degree. That's all I'm saying. You know, so yeah, that that part. That said, the second layer of, the, of IR in this film is its consideration of what happens when humans are literally confronted with the endgame. You know, even more optimistic IR scholars, you know, what we think of as liberal institutionalists, uh, believe that what fosters cooperation is the shadow of the future. It's the idea that by cooperating now, you're going to get a better payoff now and a better payoff in the future. And also, if someone defects, you can, you know, punish um, in the future. If you eliminate the shadow of the future, Even most ardent liberals often think that we revert to a more Hobbesian state of nature. And I think what I liked about this film is that it offered a much more complicated, what we call first image response, meaning individual level responses. There is no denying that some people in this film behave very selfishly, including, by the way, John and Allison. Uh, The Garrities are selfish as fuck in this film. But Greenland suggests that human nature is not just egoist and self-serving. Some people volunteer to do things for others. Some show kindness, and in doing so, invite reciprocal acts of kindness. And so in world politics, there is no denying that states must always be prepared for the worse, but not to the exclusion of recognizing when cooperation and reciprocity can yield greater rewards. And so I think the thing I liked the most about this film, Anna, was actually it was weirdly the IR content, the suggestion that, in fact, the state of nature is not nasty, brutish, and short necessarily. The state of nature is more variegated than that. It's a more Lockean view of the world than a Hobbesian view of the world. And I will name check 
uh, author we both like, yes. I believe, Rebecca Solnit. Rebecca Solnit, yeah. Who uh, wrote a very beautiful book about Katrina and the aftermath of Katrina mm-hmm. uh, about the ways that people wind up do people do wind up helping each other. Yeah. And I, I mean, yes, there's the big lie. <laughs> and then there's, it's just so hard, like the, the mechanics of that. Because there could be a really good movie in trying to more realistically game out which I guess Deep Impact tries to do. Right. But a modern version of how do we do this? I think that, like so th- in a highly connected internet Twitter-ish yeah. world, yeah. how do you manage to save some people but not others? Including the fact that I loved it when they ran down ran down the barriers in the base mm-hmm. because as I <laughs> not to preview the n- next section, but there are more of us than them. Yeah. Like, you know, Fair enough. Fair like enough. this is a very dramatic illustration look, of, of the of the 99%, you know. The way I would put it in terms of this film is that weirdly, because the film is actually really grounded, like it really does take its premise kind of yeah. seriously. The problem with that is that it hadn't thought through entirely everything. And so as a result, you start noticing these things in a way that you would never notice watching 2012 or Geostorm, or any of these much more ludicrous... Or that you just, like, are like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, you just... So, in some ways, the film is good enough so that you take it seriously, and then you can see there are a few patches in the plot. And, and, you know, so... But, like, it's a credit to the film that you do take it seriously. And so, I mean... I I think we're on the same page, which is, this is a good film. It's not a great film. And it could have been a great film. And that's one of the interesting things about it. Like, like, I think, you know, that's fascinating. But, Anna, this this leads to another question that I have for you. Yes, Dan. Is there a critique of capitalism in this film? Dan. Yes, Anna. Before the inevitable collapse of our nation. (laughs) There is a weirdly blank space where there should be a critique of capitalism in this movie. (laughs) Or you could say the critique of capitalism in this movie is that there is no capitalism. But there's kindness and therefore... There is kindness, which I do believe it would exist, but there's no one trying to buy their way into anything. Yeah, that was surprising. Although, you know, like... Because it's the end game, what are you gonna like? You're offering money, so what? people try anyway. That's true. This Fair is enough. like a, this is a is as as much as kindness is a, a fact when people are in distress. There is also the illogical attempt to purchase a future, which is always illogical, really. Yes, like it's, you you can never really buy happiness. But one of the satisfactions of some disaster films is the attempt for rich people to buy a future or happiness and then fail, right? Um, because to the extent there is a critique of capitalism, it is that scene where the masses run down the barriers at the airport because there are more of us than them. Mm. Uh, I also had that thought in Greenland when I fully expected them to land the plane and then the soldiers to be like, sorry. <laughs> no, again, I, I like that. I we like, are full. No, no, no. And... I, but I believe, <laughs> if nothing else, the fact that the planes blew up on the Air Force Base suggests to me probably yeah, not I, everyone I the made same it. exact thought. So, like, it, I actually like the fact that, that, like, they didn't have that last barrier. The Army was like, no, let's get everyone we possibly can in here. That was great. I like and that. And I do think that's more true. Yeah, I, I think I that it would be very difficult in that last final moment right. to keep people from coming Oh, yeah, in. of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was well done. No, this is this is a movie that that critiques capitalism by not dealing with it, because that would be a make it a much more well. It wouldn't necessarily be more grim, uh, and you could it would be it would be nice to see rich people trying to buy their way into safety and then have that 
fail. That's it. That's, that's Anna's re- rewriting of Greenland. Yes, I agree. That would that would be you know maybe they can bring you in for the sequel. You know. Yes. Now Dan. It's time for that was a we crushed that Anna. Discordant notes. Yes. It's time for Discordant Notes, which is a questions from the Discord. Dan, you've been very good mm-hmm. about collecting these. Thank I you. really appreciate that. No Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Divorce Dad comes through again. Yeah. Yeah, so we have a question. Divorce Dad did something he said he would do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Robert S. chimes in, uh, did we have to trade Puerto Rico for Greenland? Uh, this obviously <laughs> references the fact that when Trump was president, he really did, as God is my witness, make that proposal to Denmark. Denmark rejected it, which does make me wonder, did Trump get a sneak preview of this film before it was released in theaters? And is that why he made the proposal? I don't know. But like, it's a valid question. Dan, if I may offer, he may have just seen the trailer because he does not have the attention span (laughs) to make it through a two hour movie. That's possible. Wait a minute. You know what? What if Trump, when he was proposing to buy Greenland, actually wasn't proposing to buy the island? He just wanted the DVD of this. Maybe that's what he meant. Plausible. But again, yeah. does not he would he would want to buy it just to acquire it. Right. Um, he would not actually because he's yeah. he would not actually watch yeah, it yet. Fair enough. All right. Dan Two Spaces Brennan <laughs> asks which divorced Gerard Butler character would we want helping us to survive a global apocalypse? I have my answer, but Anna, do you want to offer one? Uh, I, I, I'm not opposed to, to this one. I, I mean he's he's the most emotionally available <laughs> that's fair totally fair yes yes He's, he seems uh, to have put some of the work in as it were yeah and it just depends on on what you think the rest of humanity's future looks like do you want a shooter or do you want a hugger yeah so i gotta say my my conclusion was cable from gamer because combining of all the form films i think he's actually the only gerard butler character who comes up with a good idea because in and this is the thing I just realized in most of the Gerard Butler films we've watched, he's a reactive character. He's a reactive character in Geostorm. He's a reactive character here in Gamer. He you know has no choice, but he actually comes up with a really ingenious idea for how to escape his like simulated world. And like I actually like that. So like I think Cable is the one who actually is is the most not reactive in Gods of Egypt. Okay, yes, but. He's, but he, that's Gods of Egypt. Yeah, it's Gods of Egypt. Yes, yes. I just want to give a shout out to Dan Two Spaces Brennan. If anyone <laughs> needs to to hire a toy designer, I go. believe he has a website. You should check it out. Okay, very good. All right, we are now at the Butler ratings, Anna. So we have the Butler Glower score. This is from one to ten. One being Gerard Butler in Reign of Fire. Ten being Gerard Butler um, in Gamer. What do you have to say? Well, is it isn't our our lower Glower score this movie, or is it Rain of It's Rain of no, Fire. No, it's Rain of Fire. Rain of Fire. He actually smiles and laughs and and joshes. that's true. That's true. That's uh, true. So no, no, no. Uh, this is a, this is pretty low, honestly. I yeah, I would give him like a, there's grimacing but not glowering. Right, I would give him like a a three on this. I, I think it's a three. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, the Butler Shouter score again from a one of I guess Rain of Fire to a ten of this is Sparta. Uh, of 300. Um, Anna, I'm going to give him a, a two on this. He doesn't really shout all that much at all. Very little shouting. Yeah, yeah. Very, very little shouting. Uh, I appreciated that. Yeah. 
And finally, uh, the Butler gratuitous violence score. Again, uh, from a one of whatever Butler romantic comedy he was in that was awful to a 10 of, I guess, 300. I'm giving this one a one. There is no yeah. gratuitous violence. There's violence, but it is not gratuitous. And, and you know, I, again, like, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that we actually like this movie the most, in part because of these things. So, yeah. Oh, wait! Ping, 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 ping! Oh my god, it's molten lava falling from the sky. Oh god! Clark! What are you doing? It's the debris, debris field. field. Yeah, we talk about stuff we didn't already get a chance to talk about. There's actually kind of a lot. Because <laughs> uh, there's a lot in this movie, really. Like, a lot of little throwaway things that, yeah. that sometimes are are worth talking about. Uh, Dan, do you want to go first? Sure. Um... The one time I laughed at this film, and I mean laughed at the film as opposed to, you know, laughed with the film, was when John, frustrated that his cell phone isn't working, says, you'd think technology would work in emergencies. He's a structural engineer, Anna. I mean, he should know that that's actually one of the moments when technology might actually freeze up. That that annoyed the fuck out of me. But like, that's like, it was just a throwaway line. But yes, yes. Anna, what about you? Do we need to talk about the accent? I think we, so this is the second film along with, this is the one thing that this film has in common with Geostorm where yeah. clearly the the director or the screenwriter is basically not, okay, he can't do an American accent. We've got to somehow work in the fact that he's actually Scottish. Like, so in, in Geostorm, remember there's that line where he says both of the, the kids were not born in the U.S. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. And then in this one, they have to talk about the fact that like Allison's mother wore a kilt the first time they met or something. Cause like, oh, oh, no, Dan. Oh, oh. It comes up in a much more awkward way. Oh, in the, in in the, the truck, back of the truck, which I actually did like. Where I, the guy's like, where are you from? Yes. Which would have landed so much better if he was not a white person. <laughs> but I, you know what? I, I'm going to push back a little bit. I liked how that landed because it, it does, you know, it probably makes some white people feel a little uneasy because that, yeah, okay. you, that so right. like, you know, right. it, I actually liked that in the sense of it was, it was, Again, it's not a question a white person usually gets. Exactly. That is true. Yeah. It is a turnabout, perhaps being unfair play. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. All right, Dan, I think we disagree on some things, and I'm, I'm, it, I'm intuiting it's going to be this next thing. Okay, not a huge thing, but I was legit impressed that the kid they found to play the younger Nathan, I thought actually looked like Nathan. So in the flashbacks, there's Oh, like, this is the younger Nathan. Yeah, okay, yeah. Now you were not impressed with the actual kid who played Nathan. Who, oh, no, 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 no. I, he was... He, you're right. He was pretty whiny, um, but on the other hand, it's the end of the world, and so I, I'm willing to begrudge him that. I, look, I liked him at least a little bit because he actually had the stones to say that he was they were they were not his parents. Like that was the one moment he got in the film, and I was happy that that like he actually was able to say that. That's about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that too. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can talk enough about the professionalism of the NPR reporters. <laughs> You know, you already we've already mentioned it a ton, <laughs> but uh, it really but, was like all not just the NPR. Like there's there's like cable news. There's as a well. TV. Like, there's like there's some fake CNN stuff. Uh, yeah. Would you I Dan, I know for a fact Jake Tapper would not leave his desk. You know what? Like it was clearly people were. We both know Jake, Jake a little bit, I think. Yeah, very little. You know him, I think, a little better than I do. But yes, yes. Jake, Jake would. He leave would his be desk. he would be there until the until the molten, you know, fragments <laughs> landed on top of the CNN building. I believe that. I believe that to be true. He probably might have his wife and darling daughter in there with him. Right. But yes. I believe he would I believe he would be professional also, up like, to the end. So hyper competent. My favorite part with in this sense was that like when when the 
the comet fragment first blows up Tampa, I think within what a minute they have the footage on the news. It was like, wow, okay, that's really good, you know, and and so forth. Like, you know, and they did they did that a couple of times where it's like, you know, just the most hyper competent news producers ever, and you know, really we can, we can only hope that the mainstream media aspires to this level of coverage in real life. I got a couple more things. Do you, Dan? Uh, I think I'm pretty much done. I think most of the other stuff I I already voiced. Go ahead. Well, I guess I have one big thing, which is there is another absurd countdown. Oh, yes, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. You can do a countdown perhaps until impact, maybe. But countdown to shockwave, shockwave. seems a little optimistic in the precision. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So all in all, we've we've come to the end of uh, Butler Vember. It, it it's been quite a ride. <laughs> it has been. People have asked why. It is our show. We get to do what we want. Sometimes what we want is not completely sensical and doesn't work out <laughs> as well as we thought it would. I which means it's like life. So I guess the way I would put it, Anna, is that you know now having seen these four films. I think my conclusion is that I have a slightly higher respect for Roland Emmerich than than I did before because I you know like these films were like I I did like this film and the other films sort of had their absurdist moments but what was striking to me was how these weren't as enjoyable to watch as 2012 or Moonfall and mm-hmm. and you know so like again I think this film was better than than those films without question but those films I actually laughed at a lot and I don't know. Like, again, I'm going to stand day after tomorrow. <laughs> like, Fair enough. Till the end of time. But if you add, if, if it's in the on the laundry folding scale, yeah. I would rather watch almost any Emmerich movie Over, than even Greenland. Yeah. No, well, that's, come on. Greenland is not a laundry folding movie. I mean, that's part of it. It's like, the, you know, it's slightly different. But yes, yeah. I take your point. But, but I also will say after now having gone through the whole month that Gamer seems a lot better yeah but i'm worried that that's like we're that part of that is we're judging on a relative scale and so that's That's true that's true and i guess we mentioned that before it's just michael c hall in the dance sequence that's really really if you if you can find the dance sequence on youtube watch it you're gonna get absolutely you're gonna get like sort of 99 percent of the flavor it does get a little bit more interesting given michael c hall's performance up to that moment like it, it in context it's even a little weirder and better but I, th- I leave it this way. I, there's a small part of me that wonders what this movie would have been if Chris Evans had actually been the lead. Because yeah, you know, and with Neil Bloomkamp. Yeah, yeah, it would have been interesting. So I think it would have been even more human. That's what I think. Yes, I agree. But this movie was, pre- as I said, it was pretty good. But I think my takeaway from this month is that Butler Vember was not quite as enjoyable as I had hoped it would be. I think I learned a lot though. And one of the things I learned... <laughs> the real butler member was the friends we made exactly. along the way. There we go. And I think we're I think we're pretty much done here, Anna. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, stay tuned for Andor uh, in our next episode. And until then... Keep this channel open for more. Mm-hmm.